Today's podcast is brought to you by Church Furniture Store. You can visit them at churchfurniturestore.com. Thank you very much for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome to Charisma Connection. I'm Steve Green, and we have a great guest with us in studio by way of telephone. You know him, you love him, Rich Wilkerson, Jr., pastor. Welcome to the Charisma Podcast Network. Dr. Green, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Love what you guys do there at Charisma. Thank you, and we sure respect your ministry and all the great work you're doing. And just recently, have been able to spend a little time with your book and see that you've got a really solid book here that I think people will be blessed by. And so I want to ask you a few questions. First, let's just start at the beginning. How did uh, the Lord drop this book into your heart? Yeah, you know, this book, Dr. Green, it's called Sandcastle Kings, and really the subtitle is called Meeting Jesus in a Spiritually Bankrupt World. And really, the whole hope of the book is to introduce people to Jesus. Of course, I think this is a book for everybody, from the non-Christian, definitely for people who feel like they're in a challenging moment or a season right now, but also for the Christian. You know, Paul wrote, writes time and time again, I want to remind you of the gospel. And you know, I really believe the gospel is what we start with, but it's also what we continue with, but it's also what we finish with. It, it's, it is the message. And um, this book is really a hope to say, hey, let, let's introduce people to Jesus. Let's have a conversation about what the gospel means, its ramifications. And the way we do it is we follow one chapter out of the Bible, which is Luke chapter 7. And there's four different stories in Luke chapter 7. There's the story of the faith, the centurion. There's the story of the widow at Nain. There's the story of John the Baptist in prison doubting Jesus, a very interesting story in the Bible. And the last story is the one with the alabaster box. One of my favorite little parables that Jesus ever told, most people out there who've followed Jesus or have been in church for any you know, bit of time, they probably have heard it before. Jesus told a parable about a wise man who built his house on a rock and a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus says when the storms came, the wise man's house stood strong, but the foolish man's house, it fell apart. And what I noticed, Dr. Green, about that little parable, what's interesting to me that I missed most of my life, is that both the wise man and the foolish man had to face the storm. And the truth about life is that we can't prevent storms, but we can prepare for them. The question is, what are we building our life on? As I've gotten older, what I've discovered is when I was a kid, I loved building sandcastles. But no matter how much time you spent on them, no matter how decorated they were or how fancy they looked, ultimately you and I both know that either the waves were going to come back in with the tide, rain was going to either fall, or even a football might come and slam into it. Ultimately, the next day you'd come back, that sandcastle would not be standing. Or some little brat would come and kick it over. You got it. Some little yes. kid would come by and, you know, a little kid. And that, I love that imagery, too. Just a little tiny kid who can yes. barely walk could come yes. and knock your sandcastle over. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting about life today is I look around life today and it seems like so many people are just building sandcastles and calling themselves kings. Oh they are building a life on a foundation that won't stand. And if I'm being really honest, I'm vulnerable to doing this. You're tempted to do this. None of us escape this. This is the human equation that we tend to put our trust in shaky foundations. And all four of those stories in Luke 7, I believe, give us, if you will, the book never says it this explicitly, but in my mind as it's being written, each, four, each one of those stories kind of give us what I would call a common castle. And the faith of centurion is about a guy who, 
who's a Roman centurion. He's got hundreds of men underneath him, and he's affluent, and he's influential, and he's probably strong and good-looking and powerful and probably educated, and he has money, and, you know, and they come to Jesus, and they say, this man deserves for you to do this miracle. And right away what we see is that this guy, he represents the trust of self, that so often we, we make ourselves our own gods, and we think that we can complete ourselves, and we think that we can satisfy ourselves. But if I'm being honest, once again, there's nobody that's ever lied to me more than me. I've let myself down more than anybody in this world. But somehow I, I continue to go back to that well, thinking that this time it will be different, and this time I can build on myself. But what you discover is when the storm comes, you and of yourself, you're just not good enough. And then the second story, the widow at Nain, her husband's dead, her son is dead, and I think she represents the common castle of putting our trust in other people. And so many times we think that other people, our pastor, our boss, our, our husband, our wife, our kids, we think that they can complete us. And, you know, I love my wife. My wife, her name is Dawn Cherie. We've been married for, for nine years now, and she's amazing. But if I could be honest with you, she makes a terrible God. She just can't do it, not on her best day. The reality of life is, is that I don't, I don't have a Don Cherie-shaped hole in my soul. I've got a God-shaped hole in my soul. Mm. And because we've watched movies like Jerry Maguire, where Jerry Maguire, he looks at the girl and he goes, you complete me. <laughs> it sounds pretty, and it is a beautiful thing to say, but it's not good theology. People can't complete us. They can only complement us. And when we put our trust in people, we always find ourselves collapsing in life because people fail. Right. People die. People divorce us. People hurt us. People betray us. They and of themselves, they, they can't be our God. And then the third story is the story of John the Baptist in prison. And I love John the Baptist. He was a real revival preacher. He was a man of conviction. He preached in camel clothes and ate locusts and preached repent and be baptized. He was a good, moral, God-fearing man. Yet we see him in Luke 7 in a new situation. He's in a prison, and he's awaiting his near death. And I can only imagine what it was like living in that prison. He was probably thinking to himself, man, is this really how this is going to end? And so what does he do? He sends his disciples over to Jesus to ask the question, are you really the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? Because he was doubting Jesus. He was thinking to himself, man, I've done all the right stuff. Why am I ending up here? And Jesus' answer is one of the craziest statements in the Bible. Jesus sends the word back to John, saying, John, blessed are you if you do not fall away or if you do not lose your faith on account of me. Mm. What Jesus was saying, hey, John, I'm not going to save you the way that you want to be saved, but John, if you don't give up now, if you trust me now, you're going to reap a far greater blessing. And really what we see is, is we see that John, in this moment, he represents this sandcastle of religion. Religion is, man, we think if we do enough good things, then, then God will owe us. But the flip side of that coin is, if we do enough bad things, does God reject us? And so many people, good people, Christian people, they get lost in this religious cycle, and they get confused, and they lose their faith. And really what we discover about Jesus is that Jesus didn't come to institute religion. He came to establish a relationship with us, and this relationship is one of trust, that we believe him, that his plan is bigger than our plan, and his story is far greater than our story, and we've got to continue to trust him. And of course, the last story is the story of the woman with the alabaster box, which most theologians and commentators would say this woman was most likely a, a prostitute. And I love it because the book kind of ends where most preachers start. It sort of ends with what we think is sin. I think all those things that we just talked about can be sin, but 
uh, you know, it ends with the world as the sandcastle of the world. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, the flesh. And what we discover about the world is the world and its its temptations and its all of its things that it wants to uh, cater to us. Man, sin is pleasurable for a season, but that's all it offers is a is a season of pleasure. It always takes us further than we want to go and keeps us longer than we want to stay. And like the prodigal son, he finds himself in a pig's trough wanting to eat pig's food. It always takes us to rock bottom, mm-hmm. and it uh, it takes more from us than what we really have ever given into it. And so this woman, she comes to Jesus, and she hears about him, and Jesus does this incredible thing in her in her life. And, you know, as I, as I wrote this book, Dr. Green, what I realized in life is, is that a lot of things that we tend to build our life on, in and of themselves, they're good things. But a good thing becomes a bad thing whenever we make it the foundational thing. That's right. If Jesus is who he said he is, which I believe that he is, of course, then he's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, then he is the only thing that's worth building your life on. He claims to be a solid rock. He is the chief cornerstone. He is a firm foundation. The psalmist David, he says, he lifted me out of that slimy pit and he put my feet on a rock, and he put a new song in my mouth. And when we build our life on Jesus, I believe that it's not, it's not a promise that we won't go through storms. It's just a promise that he'll walk through every one of those storms with us, and we might bend, but we won't break. And I think that we can get through this life saying, wait a minute, I didn't get lost in these sandcastles. I, I built a life on a firm foundation. Of course I want to have, of course, I, I think it's good to have success in life. I think it's good to better yourself and to work out and to eat good and to you know, get educated and to make money, all those things, that's fine. I think it's good to get married, and it's good to honor your pastor, and it's good to love your boss, and it's good to champion your children, and it's good to go to church, and it's good to have a devotional time, and it's good to read Christian books. I just wrote one, you know what I mean? And you know, even the world, the world has beautiful things to offer, but those things should, should result in praise to God. These things should not be the foundations of our life. Mm-hmm. You wrote a good line that I've sort of fixated on. I think it's a, a promotional line as well. You say that material success won't make you happy or fill the void in your heart. You know, I've got to tell you that I sit next to people in pews, and I've preached for a long time. I even see that people who are well-churched, maybe oversaved, also seem to have struggle with their heart, with the void that seems to be there because material possessions don't satisfy. Yeah. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think this whole book, you know what I mean? And I think even the gospel. And I don't, once again, I'm not a theologian or a philosopher. I'm a local church pastor who does life with people who thinks that Jesus is the best thing ever, you know? And, but I think we've got to be careful that what we have a tendency to do is we, we just have a tendency to reduce the message of Jesus time and time again. And lots of times we turn the messages simply into a message of morality. And I'm all for morality, by the way. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. Sure. But man, that wasn't Jesus' message. He didn't come to say, hey, be good, do better, you know what I mean? Be a good boy, be a good little girl. He's not Santa Claus, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's Jesus. He came to save people, meaning it's not a message of going from bad to good. It's a message of going from death to life. And we've got to realize that this message, it goes deep down into our heart, and it changes us from the inside out. Morality, that's a byproduct of the gospel. That, that isn't just the product. It's not just going, hey, now that you follow Jesus, you're a good boy. No, Jesus is the change agent. And I see a lot of people, and even it's better better to use me as the example. I see in myself at times that it's so easy to make Jesus just to be a part of my life as opposed to making him the center of my life. 
Jesus didn't come just to be a part of your life. He didn't come to give you a little makeover. He came for a takeover. And Mm. I I just think that today, right now, people are having an awakening of Jesus. I was talking to someone today, and they were asking me the question, you know, is is religion dying or is the church, you know, declining? And I said, I don't know if the church, I don't think the church is declining. What I think is dying is nominal Christianity. Right. I think, you know, legalistic Christianity of just going, I got to show up because my grandma tells me I have to show up. I think people are getting more real and saying, all right, if I'm going to be about this thing, I should be about this thing. If Jesus is who he said he is, he deserves a whole lot more than just a moral life or good deeds. In fact, according to Isaiah, our good deeds, are, they're like filthy rags. Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. We must be born again, a brand new identity in him. And when I look around this world, yeah, I see so many people that are even believers, and they're, they're still dissatisfied. They're still, you know, in many ways walking in bondage. And I think it's not because they don't believe in Jesus, but it's because they haven't continued in that process of really throwing their entire life in his hands. And the more that we surrender, the more we discover strength, the more we discover victory, the more we discover success. When I say success, I'm not talking about worldly success. I'm talking about godly success, which is to know that Jesus loves you and to figure out why on earth you are here. That's success in my mind. That's right. We've just got a couple of minutes left for this time. I know our listeners are excited about what they're hearing from you. When's the book released? How do I get my hands on it? November 10th. The okay. book is out right Great. now today. It's everywhere. Amazon, of course, Barnes & Noble's. Man, spread the word. Use the hashtag, Sandcastle Kings. Let okay. people know. Um we really, really are wanting to make an impact with this book. Do you have a personal website, Pastor? Sandcastlekingsbook.com. Sandcastlekingsbook.com. Yep, you can go there. And they'll be in bookstores everywhere today, then. It's everywhere today. Great. We've got it. We can't let this interview go without asking. I know you're a pastor. You do a few weddings here or there. You had a pretty, <laughs> pretty big one in your career. Why don't you tell us about it? I think you're probably referring to the... Uh, the infamous Kim and Kanye wedding. Perhaps that would be the one. <laughs> There's not too many pastors yeah, um, to talk about that. Yeah, Kanye's just been a friend of mine for a few years, and uh, you know he's on the journey of faith, uh-huh. and uh, I love him. I'm thankful for his friendship, and uh, I've just learned in life, you know, you don't have to agree with everybody to accept people, yeah. and even when you disagree with people, you don't have to disrespect people. Uh-huh. And um, Kanye and I've had a lot of beautiful conversations about Jesus. And uh, when it came time for his wedding, they just asked me to be a part of that special day. It was a really beautiful day. And I got to talk about Jesus, and I got to do a Christian wedding, which I thought was just uh, amazing. And so right. I love them. In fact, uh, this book, the cover was designed by Kanye. Yes. So he, he designed the cover of the book. And once again, I just think that it's a cool collaboration. This whole book's about Jesus invading culture, Jesus colliding with culture. And so what better way than to put, you know, one of the biggest kind of artists of our generation, love him or hate him, He's made an impact on our generation and our That's culture. Right. And so I thought it would be cool, you know, when the history books are written to say, wow, uh, just like the Sistine Chapel, I mean, it's a big comparison here, but it's like the Sistine Chapel was painted by Michelangelo out of its time. I'd love to say, hey, this is a great book on Jesus and the gospel, and one of the main artists of the day and age did the artwork. Mm. And so uh, hope, hopefully it takes the book into places that many would say it doesn't belong in. That's good. Do you believe now that your relationship with him is uh, is helping him to stay close to God? I mean, I hope so. You know, I hope that, um, I think that one of the ways that we connect with God is through people for sure, right? I right. think it's sure. about the people we keep around us. And um, I think the two big keys in life is surrounded and surrendered, you know, who you're surrounded yes. by and 
who are you surrendered to? And I want to be surrounded by the right people. I want to be surrendered to Jesus. And so um, I hope that anybody that calls me a friend would say, man, Rich helps me have a better relationship with Jesus. But that's probably a question that you got to, you know, you got to ask him one day. Um, I love him and, and, and I, I support him and he's my friend and I've got lots of friends. And once again, I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not uh, the greatest Bible teacher, the greatest theologian. I've got a lot of weaknesses, but hopefully I know how to be a good friend. And that's what I always want people to say about me, that I'm a good friend and that um, they can walk in confidentiality, they can walk in trust and authenticity, and they can be real, regardless of the title, pastor or not. Well, you've written a great book. Thank you so much, sir. Sandcastle Kings, Meeting Jesus in a Spiritually Bankrupt World. Sir, it's been a pleasure to interview you, to speak with you, and I hope that with this book's being available now today everywhere, that our listeners will be rushing out to get it and sharing it with others. It's the kind of book that's very shareable. Would you agree? Absolutely. I'm hoping that people get it and buy a couple copies and share it with their friends. That's the whole point for sure today. That's great. We wish you the best. God bless you. Thanks so much for being on the Charisma Podcast Network. To our listeners, you've been listening to the Charisma Connection Podcast. This is Steve Green. God bless you. Today's podcast is brought to you by Dr. Bill Hammond, founder of Christian International Ministries. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for sponsoring this podcast. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.